Today's episode of the Mission Daily is brought to you by Jamf Now, the number one device management solution for all your company's Apple devices. To learn more about how Jamf Now can help you secure your Macs, iPads, or iPhones, head to jamf.com slash mission daily to set up your first three devices for free. That's jamf.com slash mission daily or click on the link in the show notes. Today on The Mission Daily, we are presenting this crossover episode from our brand new podcast, Marketing Trends, presented by Pardot. In this episode, Marketing Trends hosts Ian and Lauren discuss the first 20 years of Apple ads and the lessons learned from the company renowned for its advertising and marketing campaigns. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at The Mission, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Lauren Vaccarello. Hi, Ian. Great to be here again. It is indeed great. So we published a really cool article and a report on Product Hunt called 40 Lessons from 40 Years of Apple Advertising that has gotten a lot of popularity. We ran it as an article on Medium, I think like like a year ago, maybe. And so we kind of punched it up and published it and people really like it. So we figured, hey, we should bring this to marketing trends and kind of just walk through the 40 lessons uh, and the different ads. And you can find the the actual posts on marketingtrends.com. If you're looking for it, figure who better to talk to about advertising and about Apple than Lauren. No, I I love this article and this topic of Apple ads. I... I remember going to to undergrad and sitting in my advertising class and watching the Apple 1984 ad. And that is the quintessential what it is to be a great ad, to have great storytelling, to have this amazing narrative that compels people. Whenever anyone asks, even now, what are the companies you admire? Who has great advertising? Who does great work? I don't think there is a single marketer that won't say Apple. And Apple is in so many ways the gold standard for what advertising can be and what advertising can actually do to really build your brand, who you are. And I don't think there's a better company to sit and sort of talk through when we're thinking about what can you learn from great advertising? How many Apple devices do you have? Do the ones that I don't currently use, do those count? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, we're not counting my shuffle and uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't use that anymore. I feel like my iPhone replaced the other ones. Yes, um, my iPhone X killed my iPhone 6S, 7S, 5. So I've got a drawer of old iPhone, I'll call it my iPhone graveyard. I have my old shuffle, my old iPod, I currently only have one MacBook Air. There may be another one coming. And then I have my iPad, the old iPad that I gave to my mom. And then I replaced that with a new iPad for her so we can FaceTime. And then I got her an iPhone. So I don't have a lot of Apple products. No kidding. (laughs) You know what's funny? So the last Apple computer that I owned, uh, not including all of the mobile devices, was probably the Faison family Apple II GS, where we played Oregon Trail. But I think you know it's what's really interesting is we'll we'll get into this later. But when they moved from just having 
the actual computers to all the other devices. I think it just opened up a world of people that had never actually taken the plunge. And and the way that they marketed that, which we'll get into, is, is part of that reason. Completely. And how Apple has held true to who they are, but redefined themselves as like, I remember my Apple IIe and playing Oregon Trail and thinking it was the coolest thing. And I remember when my dad brought home the blue iMac and how impactful that was. But then you think about an Apple Watch. You th- I remember when a phone was a phone. And when the iPhone came out, Apple taught us a phone isn't a phone. It's a camera. It's a music device. It is how you were connected to everything and how well they've done product expansion. And as we go through some of the ads that they have and products that they launched that may or may not have been as successful, so many of them were precursors to how we work today. And it is a company that is just prescient of where where we are going. I like that you said that they they taught us what it was because that's what it always kind of felt like was they taught you how to use their devices in a way that that nobody did. And I'll say that the final piece that I find really interesting about all of this is it is the kind of it's such a blast from the past for a lot of us, but also there are so few ads today that are remarkable that yes. you actually remark about with your friends. Their ads and just how TV advertising and magazine advertising was back when a lot of these ads were created, you actually did talk about them with other people. And today's marketing world, like that just ain't the case. I mean, no. there's so few ads that people actually talk about that are not in the industry. I don't know collectively if we care as a society anymore about this stuff. It is, and some of their ads that I just remember and they evoke this deep feeling and connection. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the stories behind it, but we should all aspire to have at least one of the moments of greatness that Apple had with their advertising. And Apple has had many, many of these just incredible, impactful ads and campaigns. I think as marketers, if each of us can get just one of these in our careers, it matters and it means a lot. Yeah, totally. And that's why, you know, a lot of the lessons that we're going to talk about from these, the actual enduring principles and the lessons you can use in, you know, the type of things you're creating now. hundred oh, percent. Um, well, let, let's get it. Let's get into the first one. So yep. 1977, Simplicity, you know, you have this two page magazine ad. I, what I love about this first off is that it says sophisticated design makes simple. And it is literally a, you know, a couple on this ancient Apple computer and the and the page is full of text. It's such an ugly ad that it's just hilarious to oh, me. Oh totally. And it shows how far Apple has has come where they are they are saying simplicity and they are saying simple and now where they are now they just they show that degree of simple. I like the concept of you're bringing out something that is totally different. And at the time, people didn't realize you can use a computer at home. Computers were these giant mainframe servers that cost tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars that were in the basement of some office. And they said, actually, no, we are going to now tell you that what you thought was true actually isn't. And this is now applicable to to everybody. And I think they've over the years have definitely improved with the visual storytelling. The text of this ad actually walks you through, you know, the Apple II is not just for hobbyists. It's for everybody. It's simple to use. It's simple to use. Like that repetition of 
hey, computers are this ridiculously complex thing. This is simple. Number one rule of, I mean, maybe not the number one rule, but at the very top of the list of sales and marketing, it's like, keep it simple, confusion equals no sale, right? Uh, We literally have that written on the wall behind us on our court board, (laughs) confusion equals no sale. And that's the reason why is is to keep it simple. And I think that once they had that first year of introduction of, you know, computers are for individual use at home, I think that leads them really well into what their big theme was in 1978, which is the whole idea of best-selling. And if you look at where most advertising and marketers, not most, but so much advertising and marketing is now, is that idea of social proof of we are the number one brand, we are the best-selling personal computer out there. And it is that idea of you can trust us because everyone else does. Um, I don't know if they were the first to really drive home with that, They probably weren't, but they really, really took that idea and said, everyone else has chosen us, so you don't have to worry about it. I'm really curious of how many computers they sold at the time because they could have been the best selling of a thousand computers that were sold or 10 million, but that's not the point. Yeah, totally. And and they're using like they're using so much terminology, but again, these are magazine ads. And when you see the the best-selling ad from 1978, again, this is how the reader is consuming content is they're reading a magazine. So it's a mostly text-based ad that is teaching them about the product. I mean, and all of these basic and ROM and RAM and all these words like over and over and over again that they're using to teach people about this stuff. If you think about it, it's them starting to seed the market. And, And how do you make a market bigger? How do you train a market? And they're playing the long game on this by giving them that that sense of terminology. So 1979 Adam is their first like kind of pushing the envelope yes. ad. I, my favorite part about this is that I don't know who thought Adam was like a ripped surfer bro, <laughs> but it's like- Amazing I, people. Yeah. I'm like, that is not who I would choose to portray Adam if we were making a movie. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's a naked dude standing with an apple, which I think is an apple too. And in the ad, it says, win fabulous prizes for creative writing. They're already like, they're pushing this stuff out there and with a campaign and the best writer can win a trip to Hawaii. The quote, closest we could come to paradise. Shout out Hawaii. (laughs) That's so great. Launch contests. They're launching contests in 1979, and they have, quote, the best-selling computer in the world. Totally. And what I like about their, the contests that they're launching, and for every marketer who's thinking, this is how I want to launch a contest, what they're doing in their contest is getting people to use their product. So yeah. it's you have this really like funny, quirky ad. To Ian's point, this mostly naked guy covering himself with an Apple computer and the snake in the background. But what the content really is is, hey, everybody, Tell us how you're using our product. You're going to have more interesting, creative ways. Tell us how you're using it, which is great content, great content marketing for more modern marketers today and even back then. But it's also inspiring people on what's possible and getting more people to buy a computer, use it so they can either win this trip or help push them over the edge. So if you're going to have a contest, if it can be a contest that gets people to use your product in new and interesting ways, even better. The thing that Apple does, so 1980, Ben Franklin, where the slogan says, what kind of man owns his own computer? And you have Ben Franklin sitting there designing a kite on an Apple computer. He's got his uh, full getup on. I like the 
photograph or the painting in the background oil painting of like a cuddy sark or some type of sailboat i mean it's very we're, we're in ben franklin's studio and it says what kind of man owns his own computer and i love how they do the marketing jujitsu of taking the thing that people say and then just putting it directly in the ad like yeah. they they take the pain point of the user of like you know well, yeah, what kind of guy owns his own computer? And it's Who like- Who do something like that? Yeah, we're going to do asked and answered. And it's, oh, it's a wise man, just like Ben Franklin. And they and they come back to the Ben Franklin well, teaser alert, they come back to the Ben Franklin well over and over and over and over again over the course of this wise man, wise person, smart people use Apple. And I think what this ad starts to do and starts to give us a, a glimpse into is so much of Apple's- brand over the next, you know, 40 years is they think about the people and the customers as an individual person, what makes them unique, what makes them different, what makes them someone you aspire to be like that you want to see part of yourself as that person. And to Ian's point where it's like, what kind of man or what kind of person owns their own computer in this sort of condescending who would do something like that? And they came back and it is the it's someone who's revolutionary. This is someone who is a diplomat, a scientist, a printer, a kite designer. These are amazing people. This isn't a who would do something like that. It's of course you would do something like that. You want to aspire to be this type of person. And they're taking this whole creating this narrative and creating the the sense of awe into who their customers are in such a an interesting, interesting way that if you start to even look at ad campaigns now or how even a lot of tech companies run their ads, it's so customer first. Yeah. And this is one of the earlier examples of how you can put your customer or the idea of who your customer is into this elevated position. Well, and I think it's just like it plays to people's emotions of do you want to be the wise person on your block who bought the computer yep. first? I mean, like how many of these people are early adopters? I would let, man, we should have, we'll get our producers to run down that stat, but like what percentage of Americans actually had computers at this time? So um, it's a huge percentage that don't. Completely. And at this point, they're not trying to, and what was really great that they were doing is they're not trying to say, let's say 5% of Americans have computers at that point. I'm making up that stat, but assume... Yeah, directionally. Sure. They're not trying to get all of the 5%. They're trying to make the market bigger. They're trying to get the full 100%. And That's how do they point. expand the market, which I love. And again, Apple does this even now because the market is very saturated for computers now. So what Apple did years later was, well, it's not just about your personal computer. It's about your iPad, your iPhone, your watch, and all of your other devices, which... Again, they are so good at creating a market, maximizing it, and expanding it. Okay, so shout out to uh, Ben, not Ben Franklin, producer Ben. 8.2% of households with a computer in 1984. Thank you, Ben. Your numbers are much more accurate than my direction. No, that was correct. close. It was you great. Said five, you said 5%. Five. I like 8.2. I dig it. So 1981, homemaker. Um, I, you just... Lauren almost spit kombucha out across the table. So Homemaker is a dude with a <laughs> ridiculous... There, I, yeah, there is, you know what? It was a long time ago. 1981 was 
37 years ago and the world has changed. The world has changed a lot. The world has changed. A dude with a ridiculous comb over. We call them power alleys, but uh, he has a ridiculous comb over and he's talking to... I, I'm guessing in for this is a is a quote unquote homemaker uh, in this ad. So what's funny is though this was controversial, right? So they were trying to like break into a market of housewives that they can like use computers. So like th- somehow again, long time ago. If I remove the the element of myself that goes, please don't mansplain yeah, computers right. to women. But also it was 37 years ago and 8.2% of Americans had computers. What I like to take away from this ad is, again, how do you expand your market? And I'm sure they did a ton of research. They said, who is using this product right now? And there is the, what I didn't comment on in the Ben Franklin ad is what kind of man owns his own computer, where I had trouble saying that because I would say, what kind of person owns their own computer? Yeah, totally, I know. But, you know. Time is different. Or it would just say who owns their own computer. Who owns their own computer. Totally. But at the time, the demographics of computer owners skewed heavily male. And what they did in 1981, whether I agree with the terminology around it or not, is how do we expand this market? There's 50% of the population who we're not addressing and who other manufacturers aren't addressing. So what are we going to do? And to Ian's point, they went and they went after these hot button issues and they also found a way to open up their product to give more and more people opportunities. So although I almost spit kombucha out on the homemaker ad. <laughs> um, <laughs> also appropriate that is kombucha. It, like of course, it's, it's because what else would I be drinking? Yeah. I live in Northern California and I'm going to have a kale salad and drink my kombucha. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so it's funny also as you see the seeds, pardon the pun here, the <laughs> apple stuff, of all the campaigns that are coming later in these early ones like you see all of this stuff coming and in 1982 for the most the most personal computer ad we've now dropped apple computer from the logo mm-hmm. so now which again like this is a big deal it's not still we're in 1982 so we're still not up to that eight percent of people who actually own computers yet and they're already dropping dropping the words apple computer from their logo yep. which is pre- which is pretty crazy completely and what i What's super interesting is they're dropping the they're dropping their brand name, and in 1982 they are just taking that iconic Apple logo that we all know that wasn't iconic back then. Yeah, the and, rainbow logo with all the different you know well, green at the top and blue at the bottom. And they put a stake in the ground to say this symbol is our is our brand, and we don't need to constantly say Apple. We're going to put a stake in the ground on this. And what was also great in the how Apple was leading the way in the most personal computer is how are they promoting diversity of people, diversity of ideas? And that was a concept that wasn't really out in 1982. And from a business perspective, Apple was like, how do I get everybody to use my product? And it was a smart business move that they also combined with this really smart branding move. And so in 1983, they launch Alone which is the campaign introducing Lisa, the personal computer for the office. For sure, weird brand name, probably. It was his daughter. No kidding. Yeah, Lisa was Steve Jobs' daughter. What a G. Gosh, he's the man. But thanks to my Steve Jobs biography that I read, they had an estranged relationship, and he in an estranged relationship with Lisa's mother. That's wild. Yep. Um, But still named a computer after her. So this is really interesting because... 
were about to get the most one of the most famous ads ever in the next year. And all intents and purposes, like Apple is getting like IBM is ahead of Apple completely in in the business world. And you have this quote, first personal computer for the office. And if we think about it, because when we think of Apple today, it is the how many Apple products do you have? Apple is the first trillion dollar company, which is insane. They have $269 billion in the bank of just cash they can spend. Also, Apple, if you want to give me any, I'm totally down with that because you have a lot. But they weren't this company back then. They were the scrappy startup from two guys in a garage uh, who you know don't always wear shoes and really love Bob Dylan. They launched the Lisa which is the personal personal computer for the office. And candidly, it's a flop. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. They are the David and the David and Goliath story. And then when they came out with the 1984 ad, so for anyone who hasn't seen this ad, hit pause, go to YouTube, watch 1984, not the movie, the 1984 Apple. But if you ad. haven't seen that, you should also, also watch throw the movie. that on and, yeah. and read the book because sometimes it's a little too close to home. But go and watch the ad. And I remember being in college and them showing me this ad. And this was years after 1984, but the impact of it. And things with the the 1984 ad, it aired once. It was a quick spot during the the Super Bowl and it aired one time. It was directed by Ridley Scott. And so many of the principles of marketing is how many touches how totally. many touches you need and you can never win some over someone over once. It takes seven marketing touches. But this was the ad that broke all of those that broke everything because it's an ad that how many years ago is this uh, 34 years later we're still talking about they have never paid for another spot, but we all still go back and watch it. I mean, it's pretty remarkable that they, like it literally is remarkable, that they're going to do this with all of the forethought into, we're going to treat this like a movie, like mm-hmm. like a short film riffing on a lot of things that were at the time the most popular thing, right? Mm-hmm. The Super Bowl, 1984, the book, you know, Ridley Scott is, I don't know how famous he was at the time. Aliens? So when was Aliens? I don't know. Or Alien. Alien. Sorry, everybody. Uh, well, not Aliens was the sequel. Yeah. Um, also, a quick producer note, at the time, he was not recognizing Lisa's daughter when the Lisa came out, so that's interesting. Yes. Yeah, Aliens is 1979. So yeah, huh. definitely a super famous director at the time. But the fact that they not only got a like a director that's name-worthy, yeah, it's crazy. And then- so news stations literally ran the ad as news. Like mm-hmm. it was actual news that this came out. I'm trying to think of like what ads in the past 10 years have even been news. I mean, that'll be a separate, separate that'll be podcast. That'll be a separate one. But we can talk about the worst Super Bowl ads yeah. of all time. I have comments on that that I will save for yeah. a future one. Starts with a G. <laughs> but I mean, this was like, it was literally like a revolutionary it, it ad. It was. And during the ad, it was treated like a movie, but it didn't have tons of dialogue. You're not seeing the product. But what's happening is they are appealing to your heart. They are appealing to emotion. And you were seeing this sort of drudgery of everything is the same. You have these 
the images of night George Orwell's 1984, people wear drones. And if you think about IBM at the time and Big Blue, and this is the perception of here's IBM and here's Big Blue and here's the just all of the same with with computers. And it's the 80s and things are changing and Apple comes out. And at the end of this ad, or actually during this ad, this person literally runs through everybody and breaks breaks out and it shows this idea of different and contrast. And the CTA ended up introducing the idea of the Mac and it was on January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh and you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. And that's all it took. And more than 70,000 computers were sold in the first 100 days, which is not a lot today, but considering how few people had computers back yeah, then, right. is massive. So then... We have this like massive success. Everything's going great. So they're like, yeah, let's keep pushing the envelope. And they created Lemmings, which is their next huge splash. Similar sort of idea. Instead of showing people as drones, it depicted essentially this mass suicide. Mm. Ridley Scott's brother directed it. And it's a huge flop. Like, I mean, looking back, no kidding, obviously. It went a little too far. Way too far? Yeah. Yeah. Arguably way too far. Where you have the, how do I say this? With 1984, it's the, it's narrative storytelling. It is, you're playing up this concept from the book where, and it's a, it's less overt. And then the Lemmings ad in 1984 was like, are you, are you calling us sheep? That was an idea. And now this is, this is a little insulting. And also, you know, first of all, should not play with the idea of suicide in yeah. advertising it's unless good. it's like something that is actually relevant. But the other piece of this is like 1984 is about freedom. Mm-hmm. It's about escaping. It's about this idea of like essentially the individual. The other way is is insulting. And so what happens? A bunch of people are fired. Steve Jobs leaves the company a year later. And the lesson there is like sometimes, you know, you can be radical, but don't be insulting. And this kind of starts the rough years. And it's important to know where the line is. So 1986, the power to be your best. Eh. It's just, and it's like, it's just kind of okay, right? And Tien's point, this is, this is part of the rough years of Apple. And it's, Steve Jobs is on his way out the door and then gone. The power to be your best with just the Apple with a little period after is fine. It's just not. It's direct, but not quite as um, inspiring. But it's the first kind of time where you're starting to see this, like the change in the logo without the rainbow logo, Mm -hmm. the Apple logo that we know like so well today. Think of also the 80s, like 80s were like super colorful, big hair, craziness, all this stuff. It's definitely like refined is just probably before it's time. Like that adds, that ad literally you could copy and paste it and run it today and people wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. So the power to be your best is 1986. And then that switches to, so 1987, Steve Jobs is gone and IBM is like the behemoth for business computers. Apple's fighting for share. They're trying to figure out how do we compete against IBM? They have tons and tons of sellers. Finally, the personal computer at work has caught on. But Apple's not leading this. And they launched this campaign called A Hard Sell, which as marketers 
thanks to I think it was the Gartner the Gartner report maybe eight years ago that said CMOs now have more budget than CIOs, and then all of a sudden, I got rid of my office phone <laughs> because I was tired of being cold called. Yep. So also for any salespeople listening, I don't have a phone number you can ever call me on. Yeah, exactly. Because we have budget, and we are so used to the hard sell. Yep. So when I think of this like Apple campaign in the 80s going against IBM, it is so easy to picture the salespeople coming in and trying to just hawk stuff at you. No offense, salespeople. We love you all. So 1988 pencil test. This is hilarious. So Apple, Apple and Steve Jobs part ways. He acquired Lucasfilm's struggling animation division called Pixar. And one of the first projects... Ooh, do you want to know a quick fun fact? Fire away. I love fun facts. Steve Jobs actually made more money off of Pixar than he did off of Apple. I believe it. That's crazy, though. Wow. And the reason he bought Pixar is he bought it because of what he perceived was their uh, computer graphics and more of their computer graphics capabilities versus their movie studio creativity. And I think I read a comment in some book that was like, if he knew that it was really about making movies, he wouldn't have bought it. Yeah, no kidding. And you're like, but you made like a billion dollars on this. So producer Ben fires in, uh, he was the single largest shareholder of Disney stock at the time of his death. Crazy. But so this ad, what's so funny is this about this is the pencil ad is one of the first projects to promote the Macintosh 2. Apple and Pixar work together on this. So the lesson there is that sometimes those who are ousted from a company have the best ideas of how to improve it. And we all know the the story that Steve Jobs was was gone, but wasn't really gone and ended up coming back and sort of saving the day. And he still was connected. So what I thought was super interesting, so in 1989, they came out with the Hit the Road Mac. And, you know, it's like that song, Hit the Road Jack. Yeah. I would sing it, but I um would like people to keep listening. So they come out with this ad about Hit the Road Mac, which is kind of clever. But what I like about this is it's Apple introducing a portable Macintosh that was super lightweight at 16 pounds. I know. So really easy to just carry around. And it was 6,500 bucks, didn't really take off. But what I think is really, really cool about this is they already had this idea in their head years ahead of anybody else of your computer should be portable. And they were they were too early with this but they already had the vision and the idea that computers should be portable and not just, and if we think about all of us today, we have our laptops, but we also have our phones and our watches, which are also portable computers. So I just, I like how they knew where the world was going to go, but I will say if you were too early. There's a, I forget the adage, but it's like you pay the person who, like the first mover advantage, but also has a huge first mover disadvantage because you pay all the marketing to introduce the thing to the world, right? So if you're introducing something like essentially what becomes laptops, but mobile computers, you're going to pay to educate the market on, hey, why should I need a mobile computer? And for sure, but it's like kind of with them, the trend is that they are always doing that. But because they're always innovating, their next hit is always right around the corner. And that ends up happening like in a massive way with iPhones and and iPads. Totally. So 1990 color. This is crazy because 
it's a blast from the past to think about the fact that computers didn't have color until 1990. But this is like your classic, we did it first and we're going to get it out there. Super simple. Literally, we have color and the other guys don't. Yep. And, guys and, it's, don't. and it's inexpensive. You're not going to pay a small fortune to get, you know, 16-bit color on your, your screen. I just, I, you know what? I will always remember the the little green typing on my Apple IIe playing Oregon Trail or Snake and obviously doing work on it too. But how big of a deal it was when you actually had a real computer with color. I went from an Apple IIe to um, one of the colored iMacs years oh, later. Yeah. So I didn't have anything in between. Yeah. <laughs> you go from, uh, so my brother wrote his junior thesis on Elmo talking type for the <laughs> nice. Apple II GS. That's amazing. Yeah. So literally like Elmo's like, howdy, whatever, however Elmo talks. <laughs> Why would you say howdy? And so like literally my brother's sitting there and like Elmo's talking to him as he's writing about whatever his junior thesis was about. <laughs> okay. So 1991 out of reach, you have this dude get on a bike. <laughs> this is such a funny image, but you have this guy get on a bike. By the way, notice how we've went from these magazine ads to like all video ads now. Obviously, they're pushing huge into the TV market. Also of note though, the magazine market is enormous at this mm -hmm. time. So they're still running all these print ads. Also, funny fact, I have sold print ads to Apple. That's a story for another day. Well, I want to um, hear that one. Yeah. And they never ran. Because the reason why is because there's just like, we just can't really take the risk on uh, anything being wrong. It's crazy. <laughs> They're like, okay, thank you for the money. Yep. But so, yeah, so they have the Macintosh Classic 2, and this guy gets on a motorcycle, snatches it off the ground, throws it on his motorcycle on the way to work. And kind of the lesson here is that, again, they always pick the huge pain points. And this, I mean, it's kind of marketing 101, right? But it's they always do a great job of this. It is. The, what is the thing that is preventing people from buying your product and attack it head on and be really, really clear of your message? And when Apple does extremely well is pick one. Pick one thing that is the hair on fire problem Yep. and go for it. So 1992, John and Greg shows two businessmen using power books on an airplane at 30,000 feet. This is highlighting those early adopters, the trendsetters. People were not doing this. It is highlighting the people who are who are the ones, those classic early adopters is so important because the rest of the, the middle class of, of people follows soon after if they're seeing people in advertising constantly yeah. doing this stuff because then you notice it then you, when you're on the plane and you walk by and you see the person with their ridiculous power book you're like wait maybe i should do that exactly and now they're also seeing that we finally made portable computers that you can actually carry around and look how productive these people are being so i just it is a great way of showing one of the intentional benefits not unintentional benefits 1993, what is Newton? I have a question for you. What is Newton? Well, I, I did not even know this existed. I vaguely, vaguely, vaguely think I remember this, but I don't know if it's a real memory or like an inception memory that was dropped in my head. <laughs> so the Newton, for anyone who wants to Google this, is the original or it is an early PDA. So if you remember the old Palm Pilots, this is sort of what the Newton looks like. And it's got a screen. You put it in your hand. And the ads were, you know, Newton is, a, is as simple as a piece of paper. Newton is news. But if you take a step back and you 
if you got, have a second, Google like Apple Newton 1993 and then see that and you can say, oh, it's like an early, it's like a Palm Pilot. Actually, you know what it's like? An iPad. It's the same thing, right? Or I mean, it's, I- yeah. I mean, it's not at all the same thing. It's the sizes of an iPad mini, no. essentially. Yep. Actually, it's like the iPhone, like XL or it whatever. Is. It's basically just like a gigantic or like the, what is that? The Pixel Mega or yes. whatever. I think this is Apple again, having the idea ahead of where technology is at that point. It actually kind of looks like a Kindle. <laughs> yeah, it, d- um, it really looks like the looks, early Kindle. It looks like it, an early Kindle. And the Newton, so it was super innovative, but the handwriting stuff didn't work. Technology hadn't caught up with the ideas. And so Steve Jobs eventually kills it. But this is another example. Newton, it's like they always pick the smartest people Mm. to promote their products. It's like always baked in. So 1994, before, after. So this is an ad that showed the creation of a report or a pamphlet or whatever it is before and after. And before shows it with no images, and then after shows them with these beautiful color photos. And and this was Apple again introducing another new product, another way to get more money from consumers that were already buying their products. And the Quick Take was one of the first consumer digital cameras. And although Apple, you can say, does not sell a digital camera, Apple also sells more digital cameras than any other company out there because this is more going product strategy versus advertising is they created one of the first consumer digital strategy, uh, digital cameras. It's simple. Their advertising's great. Is like you take a picture, you don't know what it looks like. Now you use this camera, you take a picture, you know exactly what it looks like. What they ended up doing with some of that technology and you take that and then you look at the Newton, which kind of looks like maybe an iPhone, iPad. The technology is not there, but it's this idea of this handheld personal device, if you combine the Newton with the Quick Take 200 and you just accelerate the technology a little bit and throw some internet in, you have your iPhone. Yeah. And I know what's so interesting too is like what Apple fails on with the Newton is to actually deliver the promise that they're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Newton is news. It's as simple as a piece of paper. If it's not as simple as a piece of paper... Like, then people are going to be mad. For the quick take, what's so brilliant, first of all, again, in the name, quick take is Mm. so good, which goes back to the product strategy and how product and marketing are are tied together. The other thing about it is that this is truly the ad that shows the consumer use. Because obviously you have Polaroid cameras, you have this, but Apple always was about being beautiful. It was always about... And especially like from here on, digital, beautiful photos, everything is gorgeous. And it's a higher end type of quality that for creatives and for people that do those sort of things. So to show like this pamphlet or whatever with beautiful photos, digital photos or Mm -hmm. a digital camera, you actually show why people should buy it. Exactly. And then so you're having these product-centric ads. And then in 1995, Apple changes again. And they're getting away from the product-centric to this power is campaign where Apple takes this idea of sort of influencers and says, what is power? And goes to influencers who answer that question in a ton of different ways. What power is individuality, the ability to communicate. And it takes early influencer marketing. But 
it's sort of a different angle for them because they've been pushing out different products like Newton, which didn't work and then or didn't sort of take off. And then Quick Take 200, which as a standalone didn't really take off. And now they're back to this human-centered narrative. And it's also pure brand. 100%. You know, as one of the most protected and famous brand, like Apple, for those of you who don't know, like Apple Marcom is like the actual tower, right? Mm-hmm. Like nothing goes by Marcom without a thousand reviews. Yep. And so every single thing is ridiculously thought about. And we've both worked with Apple before in the past. And so when you go pure brand play on this, it's and they have such a suite of devices at this point and things that are out there and suite of products that things like, you know, George Clinton, Hunter S. Thompson, Spike Lee, Oliver Stone, Marley Matlin, Dave Stewart, these type of people answering these questions and getting that brand association with influencer marketing. Remember, these people don't have Twitter feeds. They don't have Facebook pages. They like the only way to see these people, and this is a really important thing to remember for advertising back then and a really important takeaway for the future of advertising is you could only see these people in a movie mm-hmm. on TV and a lot of TV and actors and movie actors did not swap over or yep. they did one and then they did the other in music videos like this is the rise of like VH1 and yep. MTV and all that sort of stuff so if you want to or if there's athletes like playing sports right yep. so if you want to see these people putting them in their ads you're actually like oh, I get to see Spike Lee or whatever Mm. it is. So going back to the brand, this goes to, so a big push that Apple did in 96, if you remember, what was one of the biggest movies in 1996? I don't know. First Mission Impossible? Oh, yeah, there we go. Hey, oh. So 20, what is that, 22 years ago? Uh, How much time has passed in my life? So 22 years ago, the first Mission Impossible came out. And... Apple paid for product placement in the ads. So when Tom Cruise has his- five foot five actor (laughs) with long hair. (laughs) Who has not aged. I know, literally. I aspire to not age the way Tom Cruise has not aged. Great cheekbones in Mission Impossible. Great. Also, I do do dig the hair. And he has, and he's this super spy, and he's got his computer. And what kind of a computer does he have? He's an Apple. And they're Apple products throughout the film. And- Apple paid for product placements. One of the the ironies of this is now if a film or TV show wants to use an Apple product, they have to get permission from Apple. Yeah, like this is why you see people with like sticky notes over their laptops in TV and movies and all sorts of different stuff because you have to pay for it. Whereas back then they're paying for product placement. But this is one of the most important lessons, maybe the most important lesson of the first section of this, of our two-part series that we got going on right now, is that the Mission Impossible Apple ads are still being served. Mm -hmm. Every day, all day, across the globe, Apple ads are being served from the investment that they made in the Mission Impossible ads. The marketer who bought those ads is probably retired. Mm -hmm. The entire marketing team that bought those ads is probably retired, who paid for that product placement. But- 20 years later, they're still being served. What marketing folks oftentimes miss with this stuff is that that is associating with someone's actual life. Like Mm -hmm. that is someone's favorite movie ever that they watch every year. 
So if you are have product placement in Die Hard, or mm -hmm. if you have product placement in Mission Impossible, or you know whatever the movie is, we talk about evergreen content a lot. This is the best performing stuff, and we talk about we'll, we and we'll talk about it way more in future episodes. But Tom Cruise is using Apple products, and there's just a lot of value in that over time. And it tells people subconsciously that. If this is good enough for the the ultimate super spy, look how tough this computer is. Look how fast it is. Look at the quality of it. And it's just subtly telling people this. And that starts to plant that seed with everyone else. And it also shows that when you go back, mm -hmm. like seeing those things is nostalgia. Yes. So when you see like, man, that's what an Apple looked like. Now they're so sleek and they're so beautiful and they have phones and they have all this stuff. And you're like, man, it's crazy that they didn't have cell like a ton of cell phones, all mm -hmm. this sort of stuff in those movies. You as the consumer are like, man, Apple has come so far. I yep. wonder what they're going to do next. Yep. That journey as a buyer is super important to think about. And a lot of, a lot of times we just don't think long term. And this takes us to 1997, which I'm going to say 1997 and the ads in 97 are my favorite only second to 1984. I would I'd say I think I kind of like it better. I kind of like it better, but but 1984 was just It's like the island iconic. episode. It is. But I just I loved 97. So 1997 is the year that Steve Jobs came back and you can see the change in Apple. It's the year Steve Jobs makes his triumphant return and they launch the Here's to the Crazy Ones. And this is iconic for many reasons. First off, they're profiling the famous Albert Einstein with his hand. I told you we'd get back to him with his hand resting underneath his chin, staring at the, which is just like the most powerful. Just like that image is just ridiculous. It is. You have Charlie Chapman, you have Muhammad Ali, you have Gandhi, you have Bob Dylan, Amelia Earhart. You have like the most iconic people. And, and these are the people that everyone said was that, that nobody believed that who would think that Bob Dylan would become who he was? Who would have thought Gandhi would make this sort of impact on the world? These are the people that did not conform, that said we can do more, that said we could do better. Didn't Albert Einstein get left back in school? The Oh, yeah, for sure. These are the people that we all aspire to be like, but the people that were different their whole lives that had to, uh, what is it, uh, beat of your own drum? Yeah, yeah, beat of your own drum. Well, and so the Think Different campaign, it's so great for a lot of different reasons, but it implores you to change how you're doing things. Yes. And when you profile people that are different, that did think different, that everyone thought was different, and then Apple tells you to think different, you regain a lot of the momentum that they had from the early years, from the 1984. You gain this momentum. And the turn of the sleight of hand of the fact that their biggest competitor, IBM, had a slogan that was think, and then they said think different is just so brilliantly done. It's it's fantastic. And again, going back to 97, when you have the Apple versus IBM, Apple isn't just David and David and Goliath. Apple is David beaten, dying, 
broken arm, broken leg. No slingshot. No slingshot on his last breath trying to survive. That's who Apple was at the time. And this was the, okay, Steve Jobs is back in. We need to make this this big Hail Mary. And it's a pure brand play, which is Completely. crazy. Like it's and like, it's, we're, yeah, we're just going to go pure brand play. And if you think about now as marketers and you say, okay, you're a marketer, you're coming in. The company's not doing that well. Your company's dying. Your competitor has the lion's share of the market. You are trying to make payroll. You are trying to save your company. What none of us do? Well, let's make a big brand push. That's not what we do instinctively as marketers. It becomes, okay, what's our performance play? How do we eat whatever dollars we have? What are we going to do from a product perspective? And Steve Jobs and his brilliance said, no, this is the time to to have the brand play. IBM has Think. And you know what? We are going to say, going back to the 1984, where IBM is about conforming. It's about everything is the same and being just like everyone else. We're going to come back, take that same mindset and say it's think different. It is not about being like everybody else. It is being like Albert Einstein. It is about thinking different. And if you do this, if you are this type of person, you will be more successful. You will be what everyone aspires to be like. And it helped set up the sort of the future and the ability for Apple to really, really sort of take hold. And it's market segmentation at its absolute Mm -hmm. finest because they're segmenting the market based off of your neural pathways, right? Like you're saying, I just, and again, they always target early adopters, which I love. That's like just such a hallmark of them always pushing innovation, but also always targeting early adopters. And they're about to launch a huge new product, revolutionary product that we'll get to in the next episode. I love it. Thanks so much for listening. We're going to do part two. We're going to get through from 98, 1998 until 2018. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Hey, this is Ian from The Mission. I talk to Fortune 500 CIOs and IT visionaries about how much effort and energy they put into securing their devices. But they have teams of hundreds of IT professionals, an advantage that the average business doesn't have. Until now. Jamf now makes it easy to set up, manage, and protect your company's Apple devices. As your business grows, so does your digital inventory, making it harder to manage everyone's Apple devices. This is especially true if you have remote employees, like we do at The Mission. With Jamf now, you can check your digital inventory, distribute Wi-Fi and email settings, deploy apps, protect company data, or even lock and wipe a device as needed from anywhere. And all of this with no IT experience needed. The Mission Daily listeners can start securing their businesses today by setting up their first three devices for free forever. Add more starting at just $2 a month per device. Create your free account today at jamf.com missiondaily that's J-A-M-F dot com slash Mission Daily. We love Jamf and you will too. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.